Hey, fellow Indiatiers, those of us who like our gin and tantra served mixed. In the second episode of three in our aptly titled YOLO, You Only Live Once or Do You series, Justin Key shares his thoughts as we dive into the philosophy of biological materialism, the other major American cultural position on whether there is life after YOLO. Justin is a lecturer on law and society at Lake Forest College. His background is in computer science and intellectual property law. He is currently writing America Decontented upcoming 2022, about the decaying substance of the American civic, cultural, and material heritage. We discussed biological materialism's meanings and relevance, or lack thereof, depends on who you ask, right? But its meanings and relevances to our lives and minds, and it is an important intellectual stream feeding the American cultural river. We also followed the uh, conversational flow further afield, getting into artificial intelligence, GTP3, and the laws of space as they present themselves in various places in the vast cosmos. Hope you enjoy the episode. Welcome to Jin and Tantra, spirituality with a twist. The podcast that takes Tantrism, Buddhism, Taoism, Sufism, Kabbalism, Shamanism, Chinese Medicineism, <laughs> and all of the other isms we've been influenced by, and blends them into a tall, crisp, cool cocktail your spirit has been longing I want for. You to get Now, isn't that refreshing? I want you to get together. The scientific view, which is like uh, certainly part of the reason why we wanted to have you on too, Justin, not to, not to throw a view on you, uh, but you know, just to you know, uh, talk about this one because we both thought about it a lot. So basically, this is what, like the other side of American culture, it seems to me, and we'll see if we agree, is kind of like a biological materialism and probably what you call an epiphenomenalism, which is a fancy philosophical term for the idea that what you experience as mind or consciousness, or what you might experience even as your soul or your spirit is a epiphenomenon. It's a creation of the brain. And uh, in a certain sense, I guess, you and I were discussing this a little bit, Justin, too, in a certain sense, a little bit illusory in the sense that it's not that something separate or different, it's really just the brain at work and you sort of just, you kind of feel that ghost in the machine kind of effect. So I think that's the other big worldview. I guess the first thing is to see if we agree on that. Does that sound what people think? Uh, what do y'all think about that? Go ahead, Justin. Yeah, I mean, you know, that's, I, 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 I again, you know, we're, if we're speaking about the lay population, I, I don't know what people really think about that. I mean, you know, the, you know, the advent of the industrial age uh, and technology and, and the rapid pace of its transformations, particularly through the 20th century, um, I think has really kind of given rise to that view that we can have a mechanistic clockwork universe, right? And mind being, like you said, mentioned epiphenomena, you know, there's, this, I think John Searle says that mind is what the brain does, right? The brain is the substrate, the brain is the matter. Uh, that 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 you know arranges the energy and patterns and in mind consciousness you know me sitting here talking at my kitchen table speculating about what my own mind is thinking at this moment um, which is another kind of paradox but mm -hmm. we'll avoid that one for the moment um, yeah I mean I, I think that that's 
it's it you can make the argument that it's more sophisticated than the christian view right because you can say well you know if people do lsd it changes how they perceive the world the lsd is a physical chemical but then it changes their thoughts so you know, you can make some pretty strong arguments. I mean, we, we know, you know, we, we have, you know, evidence before us presented that, that, you know, the mind interacts with matter and matter interacts with the mind. So are they really that, you know, do we really need to have a dichotomy there, I guess is the question. Yeah, and, I'm, and that's a, that is a good question. And I, I personally don't think so, you know, I don't think so, because if, you can't have one, well, at least not that we're totally aware of. You can't have one without the other for any, at least for long periods of time, right? So if somebody, you know, like the brain is there if in, in a person who's in a coma, right? Or a person who's uh, under general anesthesia. Um, but, you know, what is the activity in their mind, right? So someone could have a dream, right? But that, you know, if someone is, is completely paralyzed or in a coma, do we know that they're dreaming? I mean, I guess we could measure, you know, use fMRI or something to determine, but we, well, we can't tell the content of their dream, you know, number one. And then I think the other part um, is that, you know, people who have near-death experiences that, you know, are individual for their own experience, and yet they share so many similarities between them that it's kind of difficult to just simply parse them apart as saying, well, this is this is the, a very clear black and white. Again, we return to this idea of a binary notion, brain or mind, right? Heaven or hell. And I think that like these are really kind of reductionistic views to break things down mm -hmm. for conversational purposes or for teaching purposes in one sense. But in another sense, they, you know, the way in which we think is, is far beyond, hopefully, um, you know, dichotomous things that we could be able to process on a, on a multiple layered kind of a thing. So I, I, you know, being reductionistic is probably how the society wants to be in order to get things to, you know, to fit onto a you know front page of a newspaper or maybe a, a tweet, you know, nowadays, right. That's kind of the new, the new version of it, but in, in um, maybe in, in reality, it, it's a more layered and nuanced substance and we do need, you know, it's kind of, I might not be in like the, I don't know how to describe it. I don't know if I'm going to be like the most tough-minded person of this particular trio or something like that happenstance for this particular day. But uh, I think there's like a weird question that like, at least we're talking about Asian philosophy, they're really asking, you know, which is, is there something that it transcends just the physicality of the body? They're asking that question really like hardcore. And, you mm -hmm. know, we talked about like, I mean, I want to have like people who would self-identify as atheists and biological materials on, you know, Justin and I were talking in the, in the pre-episode kind of powwow about Sean Carroll, who's a physicist. And he's writing a lot about, you know, this idea that there's really just materiality. There's nothing that's going to transcend. And, and, you know, and I'd love to have him, on. <laughs> I'd love to have him on, you know, to mm -hmm. talk physics and cool stuff. Uh, but, you know, he has that point of view. And I, I, I think it's like, I don't know. I think there's something about calling, uh, not calling it out. That's the wrong way to put that. Just describing that for what it is, you know, and he's describing kind of honestly. And I guess I know a lot of people who feel that way, but um, uh, maybe y'all don't, you know, I don't know a lot of people who just feel like I'm just a, like a biological kind of entity. And once this life is over, I'm done. I mean, I know a ton of people like that. Do you all feel like you don't know a ton of people like that? Go ahead. Go ahead, Justin. Oh um, yeah. You know, <sighs> 
you know, once you take once you take people who are you know have a, a fairly uh, established religious belief system in place, I think people are confused. I don't think people have, you know, I, I, you know, again, it's it's. I don't think people have the time or energy to really kind of ponder through these questions, and yes. that's why they turn uh, to probably true. you know conspiracy theories or to simplistic you know notions and you know and i'm not trying to be elitist here in my description of this because i've struggled with this for decades you know in terms of trying to find answers to these uh questions but you know i, I you know i think with the this favoring in the united states and western europe of religion overall uh as pew research has shown for the past couple of decades where it's really beginning to regress um I think what you're having is this vacuum form and things like materialism and biological determinism can kind of creep in and well, you're just like, your brain's just like a computer, right? And that's the, that's kind of the saying and we're going to treat it like a computer. And you know, it's interesting that there is actually evidence that the brain is like a computer because we have so many brilliant PhDs working on social media algorithms designed to hack our brains and they're being quite effective at it. So, <laughs> so maybe, maybe there is some truth there. Um, but yeah, I, I would just kind of, I think it's, I think it's just a lack of uh, other alternative, you know, convincing explanations that leaves this, this vacuum to be filled by materialism. Yeah, what's really funny about that, Justin, I think that like, if you were talking from a Buddhist point of view, someone might say that they're like kind of hacking your karma too. They're hacking like the deeper parts of who you are that you've carried around. You know, that's I mean, interesting. You could talk that way, right? Yeah. Hack your karma, you know, and then try to like use it against you in some way to get you to buy a particular thing or support a certain political point of view or whatever the whatever the agenda is. Yeah. 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 I mean, I have, you know, I do have some people who take the same, you know, kind of like biologic materialistic view, not as maybe not as many as, as you guys have, but I do have some people in my circle who have that view. Um, although I might have weeded him out at this point, you know? <laughs> um, but it's, it, you know, it, you know, it's one of these like logical things that you can't do right. In, in, in arguing, you can't prove a negative, right? So you can't say for sure that there is something that th th this, this, something does not exist beyond this life or whatever. So then therefore it doesn't exist. Right. But that's, that's a fallacy. And so for me being a scientist or, or, you know, moderate scientist, it's a, kind of a lazy argument. And I would certainly say that to the physicist who comes on whenever he comes on, because, you know, it doesn't, doesn't matter to me. And, you know, since I'm a you know, military um, person, I like to use that, the term that everybody knows. There are no atheists on the battlefield. And, <laughs> right? and, and this, is, this is true. I mean, there are moments, in, you know, difficult moments for everybody. And I just don't believe that someone is in these times of, very, of, of deep suffering doesn't call out for some sort of help or during a difficult time. And once you can sort of accept the fact that like you're reaching out to something that is beyond your ability to control that situation and you need assistance, then you're, you're sort of lending yourself for something greater. Now, what is that? I don't, I'm not quite sure, but it, it lends itself to the idea that like, we're not only nuts and bolts, right? Cause then if that was the case, we should, we, we would have created uh, beings by now. For sure, if we're just nuts and bolts, right? We could have screwed it together, used some crazy glue, um, and then we'd have you know clones walking around. Unless they're really good, and I don't know about it. Maybe Justin has some uh, insights into, <laughs> into the clones. 
Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, if you look at, it's funny, you know, um, if you look at the history of AI, artificial intelligence, since the, the 40s and early 50s, it's gone through several periods called AI winners. One was in the early 80s, and then there was one in the uh, late 90s, um, where not a lot of progress was made, and then followed by incredible amounts of progress. And we are currently in about the, I would say, the sixth or seventh year of an AI summer, um, mm. which we call machine learning, right? Mm -hmm. um, which is basically... What is it? It's giant spreadsheets, effectively. It's like we take huge data sets, billions and billions, trillions of data points in some cases, and we use convolutional neural networks, recurrent neural networks, different types of neural network technology, which you can look into or your listeners can look into. And we try to have generalized rules come out. So we could teach cars that they have to stop at a stop sign and stop signs can look differently. And what if it's raining and they can adjust the situations, et cetera, et cetera. So machine learning is basically math done at a very high level. Is it conscious? No, there's no evidence it's conscious. But there's a really interesting thing. There's something called the GPT-3, which is a neural network that was trained on trillions of English sentences. And scientists and engineers and some even some artists are using... GPT-3 to create dialogue through chatbots that's realistically convincing because it's trained on human sentences. Um, they're using GPT-3 to write novels, write songs. They're even using mm -hmm. these uh, neural networks to be able to kind of like imitate and mimic blues singers in terms of their tonalities and lyrics. Um, so we're kind of in this really exciting, explosive you know, but machine learning might have finite limits based on the amount of processing power, et cetera, et cetera. So as to whether or not we could create beings that are conscious like us, my bet watching AI since, you know, the late eighties, when I got interested in it, um, I would say, yeah, that's coming. It's foreseeable. It's realistic. I mean, it's, it's always, you know, it's like fusion energy. It's always 20 years in the future, but um, I think we could have it someday. But again, you know, that would be a very materialistic point of view. You could take a bunch of circuits and create a conscious being that might have something similar to feelings or motive. I, you know, that's that's still a stretch for a lot of people. There's a really well, funny – oops, go ahead, Daniel, what you're saying? Yeah, I was going to – well, this is why the, the documentary Blade Runner 2049 is a must-watch. <laughs> <laughs> right. Um, there's a there's kind of a funny little Buddhist take on this um, where, you know, uh, one of the Tibetan Buddhists that I study with a lot, Daniel study with to uh, Gela Kripaji, there's a funny little part and a little part of his writings. I never heard him say this in person, but, you know, I've obviously read things that he's written and he says, you know, if you could get a machine sophisticated enough to have a, a reincarnation inside the machine, like, why not, you know? In which case, mm. you kind of bridge a really weird gap, which would be, okay, you still have a Buddhist view. There's still some kind of consciousness that transcends the body. But in this particular instance, it's inside of, you know, some hot chick or handsome robot dude in Blade Runner or something. You know, like, why not? You know, and it's kind of like an interesting take, you know. So he kind of like, I guess, split the difference there in a weird way. You know, he kind of said, yeah, there's a, there's a machine aspect to things, you know. There's biological entities that are could be analogized as being machine-like, and yet there's still this transcendent thing. And why can't that hook up with the machine thing? You know? So yeah. 
Yeah. I mean, I, I, oh, go, go ahead, ahead, Daniel. Go ahead. Go ahead. Sorry. Okay. Um, yeah, I was just going to say, I mean, because if you think about it, I mean, again, and this is a materialistic point of view on it, but, you know, if you look at the substrate, right, if the substrate, what the mind is, what is the mind operating on? Well, it operates on, you know, neurons in the brain and there's 100 trillion connections and there's 10 trillion neurons, what have you. Um, and you, could you replicate something similar to that in complexity level, in, you know, in electronics, in photonics, um, in a quantum computing type system? Um, and would it be able to have consciousness? Would you be able to have reincarnation where consciousness, you know, would traverse from physical entity to physical entity? Who knows? Possibly. Um, but again, you know, that's, that's a materialistic point of view fundamentally. And, you know, I, 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 I'm drawn to that and I understand it. Um, I don't think it's the end all be all because it's, it's taken, it's been beyond explanation for so long now. So many people have been trying to, to deal with, you know, the phenomenology issue and, and the, the philosophy of mind, uh, and really smart people too. Uh, that makes me think that, you know, yeah, you can, you can, you can lean that way to a biological or just a materialistic, it doesn't have to be biological point of view, um, but perhaps that's not the end all be all. You know, it was the first time we were talking yesterday about this, Justin, and you were talking about whether or not there's a thing that's just consciousness that's just part of the universe. And I hadn't really heard you talk that way before, but how do you feel about that now? Or am I putting words in your mouth? <laughs> no, 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 no. I'm formulating an answer to that. It's like, okay, so there's a couple, okay. So if you look at consciousness is like, if you look at it from a mathematical perspective and say, look, consciousness is a bunch of patterns, algorithms, a bunch of chemical reactions occurring in the brain. Uh, they follow physical rules. You have to have a certain complexity level. You know, there's a reason why, you know, animals we know have a different spectrum of consciousness and intelligent behavior. Um, there was something I read recently about where crows can actually be aware of their own conscious states. There's some you know, some interesting novel experiment, which proved that. Um, but is consciousness itself embedded in the fabric of the universe? Is it a, is it, is it a law? You know, is it, is it like the fine structure constant or the speed of light or gravitational, et cetera, et cetera? Or is it, you know, the, 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 the weight of the neutron? Um, and, and I'm not sure how to really, you know, my answer to that is probably... Not directly, you know, much in the way that the law of gravity doesn't necessarily, how should I explain it? The law of gravity doesn't say anything about spheres, but if you take enough mass and put them into uh, the same spot, they'll form spheres because of the way gravity operates on it, on the particles attracting each other. Um, so it's an, so spheric, sphericity is an emergent property of gravity, even though it's not necessarily in the equation for gravity. So you could say that con human consciousness or any type of consciousness, higher, lower, animal, pardon me, my dog's barking, um, is actually an emergent property from the laws of the universe. So in a way it is embedded, the potential for consciousness is embedded in the universe itself. And we just happen to have instances and reifications of it, you know, uh, you know, meeting an alien intelligence would be a good way to answer that question, right? Mm -hmm. but, well, yeah, if, so if I can, 
if, if I can just circle back one second, just, and, and then I'll bring it back here. Um, just highlighting this idea of the, of, of materialism and, and why it is that, I, you know, I don't really hold it. I think one, it's sort of a release of responsibility, right? So if you believe that the end is, is, is over, or there, there is no more you or whatever, when you, you know, cease to exist, then, you know, then you could take the, the, the approach that, well, fuck it, I'm going to die at some point. You know what I'm saying? And, and it kind of releases your, you know, that there might be some repercussions for your actions outside of the immediate moment, you know, which is you know, ethically, I guess, easier for some if they want to do bad things. But, you know? yeah, Daniel, not to jump on your thing, but that's a little bit where in Buddhism they call that like a, a nihilism, right? Because mm -hmm. it can kind of lead mm -hmm. to that place. I know if everyone has to go there, I don't think that's well, fair. The people who, but, you know, can lead there. I, I would say, does biological material, materialism lead to nihilism? If you could have, I mean, if you if you could say, look, the the, the 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 laws of physics which support consciousness in our universe permit things like reincarnation, right? They permit patterns of thought, patterns of being, to transmit from uh, host to host or body to body, however you want to do it. Um, that would kind of defeat the argument that, well, you know, we have a finite lifespan. You know what, and it, you know leads to what? What does it matter if I get out of bed because we're all going to die tomorrow, right? We can kind of vitiate that argument by by saying, look, I mean, just because we have this emergent property of consciousness, you know, that we don't know all the rules about, but they're based in physics somewhat, but we don't know all that either. Maybe, perhaps, it allows for we can broaden it and not make it so deterministic. Not take the Sean Carroll, you know. You're just a robot based, you know, operating on physical rules, got a no free will. You know, we could incorporate all that into our physical model and still have room for these transcendental concepts. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, that's that's true. I think the other um, the other part and you're kind of mentioning it, Justin, as you're talking, is that in, in terms of this idea of you know, materialism, it we're operating as if we understand everything, you know, as if. Our, our species understands everything can can perceive everything and so when we're trying to recreate ourselves whether it be you know through ai or through some other means it's kind of limited right like i can only see so many colors you know i mean even in the visible spectrum let alone what falls outside the visible spectrum that is totally visible to other beings who can see them right and so to think that like we have the, I don't know, the Rubik's cube or the, the key maybe is a better analogy, right? To understanding these things, I think is, is really, really short-sighted because we have a hard time understanding nature and we're, sur you know, we're surrounded by it, number one. And the other part is that it's boring, <laughs> you know? Like for me, it, like living in a place where we're just blocks, you know, of <laughs> math, right? That are kind of like, pulled together like by some magic magnet force. And I guess they don't believe in magic or mag, but they believe in magnet magnetic forces, right? Is that it's, it's boring. And I, I just kind of see science as like continually trying to decipher the language of the universe that has been in existence since its inception. And the more that we try and do that, the closer we think we are to interpreting the language. But I just feel like we're getting the letters and we don't even know how to write a word yet to be just from, from my perspective, you know? That's an interesting point of view. I, you know, it's, I, I, there was a quote, 
I read at the time, um, Sergey Brin was asked in like 2003, he's one of the founders of Google. He was like, they set up and they have these machines that are scanning all these textbooks and, and books, right? They're trying to scan the Library of Congress into machine readable OCR form. And when asked why he was doing it, you know, he said, were you trying to put together a library of all the texts on earth? And he says, yes, and it's for AIs to read. And Ooh, weird. That's strange. And <laughs> it, it was interesting. It struck me at the time with his quote. And I was like, you know, because that's something we, you know, could we human beings create a machine? And again, you know, this is this is off topic. I'm sorry. It's a little speculative. But what what the heck? Could we create a machine that could do mathematics and physics better than we could? And if so, could that machine then start deciphering more of the universe from a broader perspective, better than we can individually. We kind of have that technology today. It's called society, universities, right? We can, we have a I can't build a radio telescope and scan the heavens, but University of Arizona can, they've got technical people and they got funding and they can build with radio telescopes. So in a way we can augment our eyes and ears and our, and what we can learn about the universe through technology, through social organization. Mm -hmm. um, which is, you know, so I mean, and the idea behind the internet, you have a collective global brain, everybody works together, we have access to all the knowledge, everybody becomes infinitely smart. That's kind of like emergent properties, right? That's kind of another riff on things emerging. Isn't that yes. kind of true, Justin? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So well, then here's my question. If the internet's so smart, why are people so dumb? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they're not reading the infinitely scanned books. I mean, we could probably, no, you know, no, yeah, an infinite number of like uh, texts. Yeah, I think yeah. that like, I think the existential thing you were bringing up, Daniel, is kind of interesting to me. Sometimes when I've thought about this for myself, you know, and I mean, Justin and I have talked about this over decades. Sometimes my answer has just been like, well, that's just a boring universe, but I prefer not to live in yeah. that one. <laughs> yes, <laughs> even if that were to be true fuck it it's kind of dull <laughs> and i'll use my robotic brain to like just create something that seems more interesting <laughs> to me <laughs> which yeah. isn't like isn't like the deepest answer in the world <laughs> but on some level it is right like uh buddhist wise if you're creating your universe you might as well create one that's interesting for you right if the universe yeah. is going to be at least uh you know a, a decent percentage perhaps not all uh, a manifestation of your own mind, your own thoughts and feelings. You might as well create one that you enjoy. Yeah. So and there might be more to that answer than what it initially seems. <laughs> well, I mean, listen, the, the earth is such a tiny rock in comparison to some large astral bodies that are out there. And there's so many, there's space is so huge. And I only know this um, because my fiance has been studying, you know, she's going to become an astrologer. And, and so she's studying space. And uh, it's just, it's so massive. I mean, I don't, people probably don't look into space other than maybe up at the sky or something like that. But like, it's huge for those who are not aware. You know, like, and, and <laughs> huge, huge is not even the right word to use. It's so, 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 so big. It's so big. And to think that like, we got it all figured out is, is, is really comical. You know, it's like two ants talking about how they got it all figured out, you know, on their little anthill, you know. Yeah, it was funny. It was Justin and I were talking about this yesterday, prepping this, and we were both, I think you brought up the word, the sublime, the phrase, the sublime. And I was kind of using the word, the numinous, because it's a, it's a, you know, same meaning, right? And that's, right. Uh, you, you know, used by William James, who's this famous psychologist, you know, uh, he talked about, he has this book called The Varieties of Religious Experience. And you know, basically, he's talking about from a psychological point of view, and just basically, saying, yeah, that feeling, I guess part of what Daniel's talking about, too, and like, 
just feeling of that sub sublimity or that feeling of the numinous, you know, that, uh, you know, that's part of what you want too in your life. We all want that. And yeah, the weird part is I don't think science has to exclude that in any way. You know, you and I no. have had lots of conversations about, uh, all three of us have had about, you know, Einstein's relativity or quantum mechanics or some other amazing thing. Science can like carry upwards into the sublime very easily, right? And I think that's mm -hmm. something you're really working on in yourself, Justin, too, like kind of tapping into that sublime part, right, to feel that side of the scientific worldview. Yeah, I mean, it's just it's stunning that, you know, as I mentioned our conversation, yes, I spent the last couple of years trying to learn uh, higher mathematics and you start diving into this stuff and it really starts to change your perspective on the, on the universe and the world and, and on everything, because there's it it it's there's a couple of paths I could go down here, but I'll I'll stick with the one that there's so much complexity that can be expressed in mathematical formula, right? That you couldn't I mean you could have mathematical formula that would fit on a single line that expresses more complexity than if you rearranged all the atoms in the visible universe, you know, over the next ten to one hundred years, um, you wouldn't be able to approach this level of complexity. And it's interesting because, you know, we as humans, you know, starting with the geometers in Greece have developed, especially through the 20th century, these just incredibly complex set theory, axiomatic set theory and branches of mathematics, combinatorics and complexity theory, computational theory under Turing, just this, and yeah, it's all math, it's all, you know, higher math, it, it, it's boring to a lot of people, it's not very accessible. But it contains, you know, you talk about the, you know, the, the raindrop contains the entire universe reflected in it, right? Well, we have mathematical format uh, formula that do the same thing. And when you start being able to say, hey, you know, we can have a mathematical concept that is just is where everything is connected. It winds up becoming analogous to, I think, a lot of your Buddhist concepts that you talk about. Well, I think that's like another, just to reference Gallic Rinpoche, you know, one more time, you know, uh, give him a shout out for all the great things he did. But he has this part um, in one of his retreat manuals that I would read on my retreats where he just says something like, if you can understand quantum mechanics and relativity, you basically have Buddhist philosophy down. You know, it's going to take you to the exact same place. I think that's very place. true. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's very true. I, I, I really think that there's a lot of truth to that because, you know, it, it, it's, it's, it's a reflection of, it's almost like the observer problem. It's a reflection that, you know, the very system itself, I mean, this is like Gödel's incompleteness uh, theorems one and two, where you can't have an axiomatic mathematical system. They can prove either that it's consistent, that is, it can determine whether every formula is true or false, or it's complete, that it can enumerate every truthful statement. And we see that in relativity, we see that in quantum mechanics with the observer problem. We see that in relativity where the position of the observer changes with the rates of, of, of speed, but fixed by the speed of light. We have all these relativistic points of view. And I think going to Daniel's kind of uh, assertion, and I agree with this, is that if we try to just say, you know, if we take a dull Newtonian mechanical view of the universe and you're just a biological being and, you know, you, you die and your consciousness evaporates and we have no proof scientifically. I think I agree. I think that's a very nihilistic and a very just sad worldview. Mm -hmm. But when you start looking at um, some of the complex realms of, of thought, 
that we've developed in the 20th century, it really does become amazing uh, just how little we know and can know of the universe. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I, I agree with you. And I think it's, you know, I need, I need another lifetime just to be a better scientist, I think. <laughs> <laughs> I think what like well, speaks to the Jin and Tantra of this to me is that I think in the Tantras, there's this idea that like no matter what path you're walking, you can take that path and like travel it to some more profound place, you know? And that's kind of what I guess I hear in the conversation to me, like to take it back to the name of the show, a little Jin, a little Tantra, you know, it's kind of like, you know, like, uh, you know you're, you're talking about the sciences and that could be just as much of a Tantric road for people as, you know, some other path, you know, they can all take you to that place. I mean, that's, that's the, the beauty of it, right? They can all take you to some place that's sublime or transcendent or numinous. You know, they're all, they're all paths you can walk that way, right? Though we not, we, I don't think we always present it that way in the culture. And I think that's the critique. Does that make sense to you all? Yeah, it's sort of exclusionary, you know, that people's ideas, they, they, they have to exist in a place where other people's ideas are not true. You know, it's yeah, like, well, this is right. true. Therefore, yours has to not be true. And I think, you know, to Justin's point is that like, there's so, there's so much about where we are now that, that is so rich in terms of how we're understanding it more and more as, as science develops that it's actually, it's layered, you know, in terms of, of how much we can possibly understand. And so to be exclusionary, I don't know, it, it, it's, it, it's reductionistic, but it's reductionistic at a, at a large fault. And actually it's not scientific. It's, you know, it's dogmatic in a sense that, you know, I'm only, un, we, I can only, basically it's, it's, to me, it's insinuating. I can only, I can only have one thought in my head at a time and I can't entertain two. So I'm going to take this one and yours is, is busted. <laughs> that can go in both directions. I mean, Justin and I have religious friends where they'll exclude you just as much. So this goes in both directions too. It could be your science person saying, you know, I can't tolerate that you have these things that don't match my worldview. And, you know, we have religious friends who are exactly the same, right, Justin? I and mean, it can go in either way. Yeah. And, and, and to, you know, just to further, you know, you know, Daniel saw it on it is that when you, when you really step back and think about it, the, you know, you can have a spiritual Buddhist worldview that subsumes is compatible with and incorporates scientific rigorous knowledge, right? Those are not mutually exclusive mm -hmm. vice versa. You can have a scientific worldview uh, that may be materialistic, but nevertheless, based on, what we know about, you know, Gödel's incompleteness theorems on, on axiomatic uh, mathematical systems, uh, by the very nature, very fabric of math, which is, you know, in logic, there's things that we don't know, we can't not know. And that's written in stone. And that is the way the universe works. And people don't like that uncertainty. But that point of view, in quantum mechanics, where we can't look in the black box, and that uncertainty, we, that point of view is not incompatible with Buddhist spiritual thought, to my understanding of it. It's incompatible with dogmatic religious thought, right? If you have the view that, you know, you go to heaven and hell and you die, and that's what happens to the soul, and there's no such thing as reincarnation, and there's no such thing as the soul disintegrates or what have you, that's religious dogmatism. But science and materialism can coexist with these unknowns that allow this, I think, this incredible uh, variety of, of expression. Mm -hmm.